Beyond the Wrench with Jay Gannon from Find the Wrench. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon. Happy to have you here for another week. Before we get started with the podcast, did want to take a second to announce the winner of our higher or lower game for last week, and that was Jonathan Robertson with a high score of 33. With that, Jonathan wins a $100 Amazon gift card, and this week's gift card is brought to us by our friends at both Truck Country and Stoops Freightliner. They're great partners of ours, a customer of ours, and if you're a technician that's out there looking, make sure you go check them out. They have a great operation, great training. I've been able to see it firsthand and are just all around great people. And and speaking of that, if you are a technician and you are looking for a new job, maybe not in the Midwest where Truck Country and Stoops are, even if you're just casually looking, you need to check out reverse job posting on Wrenchway. Reverse job posts flip the traditional job board around. Now you can fill out a short questionnaire and let shops reach out to you with job opportunities. No resume is needed. The best part about all of this is that your contact information remains anonymous until you're ready to share it. It's a great way to explore new job opportunities and it's completely free. Download the Wrenchway app in the App Store or on Google Play to try reverse job posts for free. We'll also put links to the uh, downloads in the show notes below. As for this week's episode, really cool episode, maybe something a little different in that we brought on Trip Bruce, who is with Hallmark Friesen Racing. And, and any of you that follow racing will think this is a pretty cool podcast. He really runs the operations down, down there in North Carolina. Stuart Friesen, who races in the truck series in NASCAR, is a really well-known racer, really good, really fun uh, trip, as you'll get to know him through this podcast. Kind of the same way, right? A really, really good guy and has some really cool stories. I grew up in racing and absolutely geeked out in this interview. I thought it was such a cool one. But as we progress to kind of bring it to what's relevant to our audience, we talked about hiring really good people and maybe some mistakes that Tripp had made along the way, what he looks for when he's looking for new people, and overall just... increasing the level of talent in his shop. Uh, A really cool podcast. Again, one that I kind of geeked out on. So I hope that you do the same. I hope you enjoy it and take care. We'll we'll talk to you next week with another really cool podcast. Have a great week. On today's podcast, a really cool guest, maybe something a little different than what we normally do but I'm really excited to have Trip Bruce on Beyond the Wrench this week. Trip's got a fascinating background and uh, a really cool story in general. So, how are you doing today, Trip? Uh, I'm good. I'm glad to be back in the shop with all the guys. So, uh, t- let's start with that. Tell us what you what you do and kind of what your role is within the team. I'm the general manager here at HFR, competition director. You know, we're we're not a huge race team in comparison with with others here in Mooresville, but for the truck series and running a single truck, we're a fairly large team. We do a lot of in-house stuff. So I just basically oversee day-to-day and, and manage the property. It's a big piece of property, a lot of equipment, big shop. So it's just a lot to take care of. That's my main goal day-to-day is to make sure everything's taken care of. Now, are you still traveling with the team when you're going to the races? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's there's roster limits in NASCAR, and and so we have to stay within those limits. But there's still room for me to be out there. There's a lot going on. I've been so hands on all my life. It's it's hard for me not to be that way. So I can be. I can still be helpful, minute to minute at the track. You know, with different things. I, actually, they 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 have me pulling the they pulling the front hose during the pit stops now. And I, I used to used to pit cars and all. So. I, Felt a little awkward, but not really. I, I thought about it. I was like, man, I'm actually helping here. This is good. And then they, they, these guys would turn around and say, hey, could you do it this way or do it that way? And I'm thinking, that's pretty neat. to been doing it so long, and now I'm, I'm being taught, you know, a way to do something new for me, pulling the hose. Yeah, well, and it's it's kind of back to your roots a little bit, and that's kind of what I want to talk about to get things kicked off. How did you get here? What was your path that led you to where you're at? I, you know, it's a long story. Obviously, it's <laughs> years long, but I spin through it real quick. I I always messed around with stuff, tinkered with stuff, things like that, mechanical, I guess. I didn't didn't really have any background in my family like that. I just curiosity and things kind of led me to always messing with stuff, taking things apart, things like that. Started wanting to kind of acquire my own tools. You know, I didn't really have those around my house. But anyway, by the time I was looking at getting a car, I, I, I was, you know, I'd been mowing lawns and made money and things on my own and buy my first probably around age 14 to be ready for when I turned 16. So I was looking at the cheapest things in the trading post and they had to be like MG midgets or little Fiat's broken down cars that needed work. And at that point, I felt like I, I could work on one enough to be able to buy a three hundred dollar car, a five hundred dollar car at, at most. You know, I had a certain amount of money. That, that's really what led me into it. I mean, I, I know that that's not really directly related to what I do now, but it's indirectly direct related. So, I I I took that my first car being a Fiat. The man I bought it from was an Italian man that specialized in Italian sports cars. Well, once I met him and bought that little car, I said, well, can I hang out here? <laughs> and, and and by that point, I was pretty mechanically fine. I mean, more so than most, for sure, at age 14. And he loved it. As often as I could be there, he started paying me to help him do what he did. And and I think I, I went all the way to probably... 19 years old before I ever touched an American made car. And I got really good and a lot of knowledge in the Italian car world and got good at doing from body work to brakes, to building transmissions, to engines, to suspension, everything. Some really unique, quirky type cars. You learn a lot that way. I'm doing something so different. And eventually, you know, somebody's at the local track said, Hey man, I could use somebody that could, you know, do mechanical work like you can on my race car out of Southside Speedway in Richmond. And that's kind of, at that point, I went out there and checked that out and helped a guy here or there and, and then snowballed from there. Really? Hey. from the Italian cars, started messing with these stock cars and a you know, street stock, grand stock style car and just kept going. So were you a racing fan prior to that? I, you know, with friends and things in school, you know, I had a buddy that was a Daryl Walter fan, always had the tide colors on, things like that. I think that's about that era, the, the mid 80s, things like that. There was a family a guy sat in my home, Franklin Butler. He was right there in homeroom every day. On Mondays, he'd be talking about the race he ran at Southside. 
So I listened, I paid attention, I'd watch them. They, were, it, they weren't on TV every week, you know, but they were on TV here and there. And I'd catch a, a big show, a, a Darlington or something that might be televised. So the Really, the main thing that really connected me to NASCAR was about that same time, about junior high, high school, I became good friends with a guy I'm still good friends with, Kent Pond. His dad was Lenny Pond. They live four miles down the road from me. Kent and I did things that had nothing to do with NASCAR, but he had grown up in the NASCAR world, literally in the back of the station wagon at the tracks every week as a baby all the way through. At this point, he was had not much interest in it. His dad was still racing and things. But as we circled back around and started going to Southside Speedway and working on on stock cars, of course, his dad was the go-to guy to kind of teach you and and tell you what you were doing wrong or what you needed to do right or how to do this or how to do that. So I, I soaked in everything I could from Kent's dad, Lenny. And once again, that just snowballed. I, I have a tendency to take something and go as far <laughs> as I could possibly go with it and then a little bit further. And that's what I did back then. Um, long story, like I said, but still doing the same thing in, 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 in some way or another. I grab a hold of something and go really, really hard with it. Well, it's really cool, and and I think it's fun for me to hear this story. Just growing up as a race fan myself, and and being, I, I've really kind of reacclimated myself with the sport again, and just seeing what you guys do, it's it's fascinating. But how how did your first break into NASCAR happen? Then if you go from the the short tracks to being able to mm-hmm. to kind of transition into a, a role with, within NASCAR. Well, I I think. When you hear the story, it looks like possibly my sister, Beth, got me involved in these ranks, and she did in a way. But I think the way I see it, the way it probably went down was I got so heavy in the race, and she started coming around, coming home from college for the weekend, going to the racetrack, checking out what I was doing. Um, Throughout that somewhere, her walking in and out of the racetracks, Richmond International, we were out there running the late model show that they did for the first time ever at the big new track. She got recognized by some people at, at R.J. Reynolds. Wow. It happened to be Grant Lynch, who who ran the R.J. Reynolds sports marketing side with the uh, Winston brand. She just met him in passing in and out of the racetrack. And from there, I don't know how long it took, but it, eventually she became Miss Winston Cup. Through wow. that passing in and out of the gate, coming to to be a part of the late model race we were down in the pits doing. So next thing you know, she's Miss Winston. But here I am working 24-7 on race cars in the race shop at home, just just doing the local thing. And the phone number on the, the shop line was 748-RACE, 804-748-RACE, 7223. Pretty cool pretty cool line and i don't know if this is why why i got the call or not but i she was in pocono at the cup races miss winston i guess they were hanging out after hours maybe deep into the after hours 11 midnight which was normal rock and roll time for me working on the race cars in the shop in the south side speedway cars the phone rang i would get aggravated every time the phone rang it would just stop you get you off the ground have to get up and answer it there was never anything good on the other end of the telephone it rang and it's her. She said, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, you know what I'm doing. I'm working. What do you need? Almost aggravated. Ah, I just got somebody who wants to ask you a question about a race car. Okay. Put somebody on the phone like, hey, what are you doing? Working. I, I don't have time. What do you need? It's like midnight, one in the morning, something like that. 
It tells me it's Dale Earnhardt. What? It's Dale Earnhardt. Just wanted to know if you want to work on my car. I'm like, yeah, this is funny. I just hung up the phone. Yeah. And yeah, I know you've heard these stories before. You you may have that similar stories. Somebody calls, big name, you don't believe me, hang up on. I did. I hung up on. I, I was <laughs> aggravated that Beth called me in the middle of So they call back and it's Richard Childress. Hey, this is Richard Childress. You know, don't hang up, don't hang up here. I'm hanging out with your sister. She told me you're probably in the race shop. We dialed that number. Sure enough, I said, I am. I'm busy. What? Is this real? Well, we're here in Pocono, and it's I think it's this is on a Friday night after we race at Southside. And I'm trying to get the cars ready. We were gonna go run Langley or South Boston or one of the Saturday night shows. Sure. Well, we want to invite you down. She said you're good with the race cars. We want to invite you down. We could use some help. I still think they're full of it, but they they were they were having a good time. They were enjoying themselves. It's probably funny to them a joke. But they invited me to Pocono. I said, well, I've got a race tomorrow, but I can, I could be there by Sunday. And I think from Richmond, it was seven hours, seven and a half hours. I said, as soon as I finish and get packed up after the races we're doing on Saturday night, I'll drive to Pocono. And I did. I drove all night long. I showed up at the address using the map. It was a uh, hotel in the Pocono Mountains. I went in the lobby. I made it there at like 530 in the morning. And sure enough, Childress had come down out of the rooms and I got in the car with him, met him right there. He took me to the track, a jacket on. I, I don't really know him. I just know the name. Yeah, I know best there. I think it was a father's day weekend too. That was a pretty special weekend. Anyway, family type weekend. I ride with him. I listen to everything he's saying. He says, when you get here, you know, I'm gonna get you the gate. Don't say anything. and I'll get you in. Okay. I didn't know anything about credentials and stuff like that. Then he did. He walked me right through the gate. He knew the gate guard. He said, hi, this is, uh, this guy's working for me today or whatever. And, and then chocolate Myers walks up like, Hey, Richard, good morning, whatever. And he goes, Hey, this is trip. It's best brother. Take care of him. Trip. Do whatever chocolate tells you to do. So I'm like, okay, it's on. I'm getting ready to go to work here. And there's people buzzing everywhere and the cars are lined up in the garage. And I'm not overwhelmed because it's a race. Right. Big deal. And these, these guys weren't that big of a deal to me. They were just at the, the top where you might want to be. I didn't know if I did or didn't. You know? Right. You know, what do you need help with? Well, of course, then chocolate. I don't know if you know him. He's a ham. Of course, he wants <laughs> this oil bucket emptied. Anything he had to do that wasn't fun to do, that's what I started doing. I take my jacket off. And he's like, oil drums over there. I've got this. And I'm like, no problem. Take my jacket off. I've got an auto light t-shirt on. Yeah. Probably got stains on it and stuff. Auto light. <laughs> this is the AC Delco number one good wrench three car sponsored by everything GM. I've got auto light on. <laughs> it was the best thing I ever did was wear the auto light shirt. 20 minutes later, passes me, I'm cleaning oil buckets and whatever I'm doing, you know, front work. And he's like, he stops me, he yanks me aside, like over in the corner is like, chocolate. You can't wear that Autolite shirt in here. Get him a shirt. So I immediately get a uniform shirt, which is a huge deal when you're young like that and you get yes. Earnhardt uniform shirt. Things are getting better by the minute, you know. By mistake, I was a little embarrassed, but I got I got a crew shirt. I, that's kind of how it all started. It's, it's, that is insane. I guess my sister did get me into these ranks. This level, and it, and it took years after that first drive and volunteer. I volunteered for a long time with that group. 
got hired on at, at a local Don Beverly Bush National Team, the 25 car with Jimmy Hensley. I got hired on full time there. They had a loss of a crew member. It was a three man crew, professionals. They had a loss of life of one of the crew members, important mm. guy. And I got the call to come in and take his place and be a full time part of that team. So I worked with that team and I continued to volunteer with the three car on Sundays um, as often as I could get there, drive there, whatever it took to get there. I kept doing that, and it, it took years before I got a full-time job at, at the Richard Silver Shops and Welcome. So, so, so you you mentioned some pretty big names there, and I'm curious, uh, did you get to know these guys pretty well? Obviously, you're there every week or as much as you can be. I mean, you get to know these guys pretty I good? I did. I did. I got really close with them. I mean, I, like I said, I, I didn't back down. I drive every week as often as I could, as far as I and I became close friends with Kurt Shelmerdine, Will Lynn, Danny Lawrence, Chocolate Myers, um, Bobby Moody, all, all the ones that they were somewhat of the original group. You know, some of the faces changed over the years throughout the, the Flying Aces and the three-car group. But I, I got to be good friends with them and still are today, for sure. Wow. And uh, uh, do you have a, a Dale Earnhardt story? Uh, if, uh, any any interaction? or uh, I think yeah, every, I, I, every... I've had several. I've had several. <laughs> Besides the fact that, I, I mean, he... If you were using the bathroom at the, and he came in the bathroom, the you know the the uh, multi-stalled bathrooms, and and you didn't know he was in there, you were probably he'd make you make a choice. He'd come up behind you, he'd hit you in the back about as hard as he could, and you'd have to decide what you were going to do with your hands next. You're either going to put them on the wall and save your teeth, or or probably make a mess, make a mess of yourself, or let your teeth hit the wall and not make a mess. Of uh, that's like that. it's just funny, like and it's funny to him. Like, let's see how, how he decides what he's going to do. And you're standing at a urinal, and then you get hit in the back. <laughs> Little things. I, th- I always thought that I've heard those stories where he he would play jokes on people, and he's rough. You know, he's not a soft guy. No, His jokes were. He had to be tough to take them. I thought it was cool that I was just getting messed with. You know, because somebody messes with you, they probably usually like you. One of the better ones was we, we were in North Wilkesboro. I think it was second to last North Wilkesboro race, possibly that was run there. Could be wrong on that. Long, hard day there. Looked like we're possibly going to win. Turns out, you know, he's got to lead at the end. Just covers them, wins the race. First time I've been with them when they won, and I was still volunteering. And Beth was there. It was, I think, it was '91. She was Miss Winston. Well, the Good Ranch pit. Somebody always had to guard it. It was so popular that yeah. the fans, not being thieves, they just they would take anything they could get their hands on that had a mark of the three or Earnhardt or Goodrich, whether it was a lug nut or a tool. It, it was trivial, but it, for a race fan, it's not trivial. It's a great piece of memorabilia. So you kind of had to guard it, especially pre-race, because all those parts were needed. I mean, everything was needed. This, every screwdriver was needed. You know, it was important to a fan. It was a collectible, and to to the team, it was a tool for the day. So, you know, often I'd, I'd be the one that would stay there when they needed to go have a meeting or nobody could be there. I'd stay, I'll stay. I'll watch everything. Take care of it. Um, maybe a little responsibility, you know. Yeah. So yeah. he's coming around turn four and taking the checker flag. Well, these guys are jumping up and down. I guess I did a little bit of that with them, too. And, and they take off running. I had never been there, you know, and I don't think that was something that you saw on TV, that, that inside part of it. The fans are going nuts. There's hundreds, thousands of them all around the pitch. 
And the first thing that crosses my mind is, look at them. They're trying to take everything. I haven't guarded this stuff. <laughs> so I'm standing down there doing what I'm supposed to do. It wasn't hard. It's just like, hey, no, you can't touch anything. I stay there. Everybody's gone. It's just me. All the other teams are packing their pickons up and things that's normal after the race is over. And, and uh, all of a sudden, somebody comes running down and says, what are you doing? And I said, if I wasn't here, this stuff would be gone. These people are crazy. They're going to take all this stuff. Like, man, forget about that stuff. They can have it. We're in victory lane. You've got to come down here. It's awesome. I didn't know really I'll run down there. So I'm a little late to victory lane. It had already started. Well, I didn't even have a clue. North Wilkesboro, victory lane was on top of the hot dog stand. There, oh, wow. It drives on this steel elevator pad. It raises up, and then it drives on top of the hot dog stand. There they all are up there on top of the hot dog stand celebrating. I'm like, okay, I run up there at, and Beth, I don't know if Beth and Earnhardt had planned this because I wasn't there. And they said, hey, where's Tripp? Well, he's down there guarding the stuff. Go get it. So while they were going to get me, he gets this jug of gallon jug of Gatorade, has it behind his back. I think he's got the trophy, best with him, the autograph, uh, autograph stuff. And I come up and he's like, hey, come here. I can't believe you didn't come to Victory Life. And it's still the crowd and the cameras and all. And he, when he says, come here, he's got his hand up, like, to high-five me. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I don't know what's going to high-five me. This is awesome. I go to high-five him, and he pulls out from behind him this Gatorade, gallon of Gatorade, and dumps it on my head while he's high-fiving me at the same time. And I have a sequential uh, photographs that were taken by one of the uh, the uh, photographers there at the track that that took the – one after the other. So I have it from the time it's high five to the Gatorade with the other arm. That's in all of them. They're all laughing, big smiles on their face and the Gatorade coming out of the jug, coming down, hit my head, completely splashed me. And I've got all that framed up on the wall at home. It's pretty nice. That That's is awesome. My That's my favorite one. I'm sure there are many more, much more trivial to that. But for me personally, one of the best set of photographs I've got. I, yeah, that's something you'll treasure forever. That is such yeah. a, such a cool moment. Such a cool moment. How, how does that transition to now? You're, so your current driver is Stuart Friesen. What, what traits maybe in Stuart do you see that might match maybe what a Dale Earnhardt or some of the, some of the great. With Stuart for a while now. And from day one, the first time we went to a test together, I think it was Atlanta test this time of year, four or five years ago. I immediately said, man, if we get our stuff straight, this guy's going to win a lot of races. I mean, that's what I said to myself. And I think it was Tommy Baldwin that owned the cars and all back then. That's what I said to him. I was like, wow. I mean, it's just in the gas, wide open. We've got to get this thing underneath him. He's a real race car driver. I mean, Stuart reminds me of, of Earnhardt like that. And back then, there was a lot more of the, the men that had grown up making a living and putting food on the table. They were still out there doing that. And that was the reason they were racing. Um, and I... And, and Earnhardt came from that, and many others did too. And, and Stewart is one of them. It's a it's a different era we live in now. It's not quite like that, and, and yeah. probably a good thing because racing is a tough business to get to have to put food on your table from. It really is, even for the crew members. So he's that type racer, you know, hard nosed. He is a full grown man. He's not a young guy. A lot of the young guys are the ones with the most talent now because they start so young and they have virtual worlds to to. Uh, hone their skills on and on. He, he's not like that. He comes out of the dirt world, but he's been making a living for his family his entire life, driving the cars and working on them, setting them up and knowing brakes and knowing engines and valve lashes and, and all that carburetors and all that stuff. 
but he's he's a different breed. He's an earlier generation breed, and he's actually living in. So, I I respect that correlations between those two. I I think that's so cool that old school mentality and Mm -hmm. somebody you know being from Wisconsin felt Matt Kenseth was very much that way, and Mm -hmm. and Dick Trickle. I'm not sure. I mean, Dick Trickle won everything up here and was racing six days, seven days a week. So that was back in the '70s and '80s. You know, it was. It's really cool to see somebody like Stewart be able to kind of continue that really that kind of almost blue collar feel and and just a really good person. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, I I really that's. That's a sense of what I like about uh, HFR as much as any part of it is is the driver we have, and we have not won, you know, as near as many races as we want to. And we at one point we had more second places I think in the history books of anybody in the truck series without a win. So, uh, second's the hardest spot to leave the racetrack in. I mean, you're just not happy about it. Not not as the team that just finished second. So. That's a great accolade, a great stat to have that we used to have before we won the first race. But it was a tough one to take, too, because for me, second's the hardest part. I, I believe that. And in order to have this team around Stuart to be able to support him and, and really put a competitive product out every week, it takes a really good team, right? And that's kind of what I want to talk to you today about is understanding how you put a team together and, you know, what, what is it that you're looking for in that person? And, and really, how, how do you create just that success in general? Obviously, that team is foundational to that. But what is it that you look for when you're adding uh, somebody to your team? I, I wish it was easy. For starters, the, this business racing at any level, there isn't a model to teach somebody by. It, it takes It takes time to learn. It takes time. To get to know all the intricacies, what we do once you get all that is very, very routine. That can be spelled out. That part of the job description, here's what we do. We go to the track, we unload, we do it exactly the same every time. It's only improvised if, if you know, a piece of equipment's not working at the moment or things like that. Otherwise, it's scripted. It's a, it's a television production, so it's scripted at times. So you can, you can easily lay that out and show somebody and, and show them the expectations at that point. But leading up to that, prepping to get there and all that, it it takes six senses. It takes all kinds of stuff. But for starters, when looking for people, it starts with a little bit of skill set. And it may seem opposite. To me, it's it's a little bit of skill set. There's other things that you can have that will take a little bit of skill set and, and let it grow expon- exponentially. I mean, as fast as you want it to grow. So a little bit of skill set helps. You, you can't just be just not good with your hands or or not physically motivated or your body's not capable of, of, of a long day and hard work or, or on your feet as much or things like that, you know. So it does take skill set and then capability to be able to to move and get it done, to get the work done. It's a hard working job. It really is. It's not a desk job. It's not a... It's not a standstill job, but beyond the skill set, which I think is a smaller amount, is is flat out motivation as a person. I think that motivation helps you create a passion. I'm not sure which order it comes in. The passion can help create the motivation, or the motivation can help create the passion. They they both drive each other equally. That's really important, and you can see that when you talk to somebody. Maybe 
maybe they don't have to know their direction or, or where they want to be or have that vision to see that far out and bring it back. But you can feel that whether they can't sit still in their seat like me when they're talking, they, they know they want to be doing something more than this at the moment. You got to hold them back because they might get out there and mess something up. That's that passion, that motivation that both drive each other. So I think I can see that in a person real quick when I'm talking to them. Sometimes I ask them questions that don't even make any sense for why I'm asking them. It might seem silly actually or, or irrelevant, but it's kind of to see the reaction that they'd have to that if they jump to find an answer or, or actually respond that, Hey, that's, that's stupid. Why'd you even ask that? Whatever, you know, that that's passion and motivation. I mean, but probably most importantly is what my dad always taught me. Probably the main thing he always taught me was initiative. And I just for years knew the word. he said it so many times. I knew the word, but I don't, I've always, I mean, for 40 some years, I've tried to pinpoint when it was, when it, when it was that I realized what he was trying to say by repeating that repetitive word, initiative, take initiative, take initiative, take initiative. I know I can remember that for long before I maybe did it. And I think I started earlier than most people taking initiative. I almost know I did. Times are different now. Taking initiative then versus now may be different. I mean, now you can do it through a computer. You can, you can learn through the computer. That's taking initiative. Um, back then you had to get out there and actually do something outside the house, whatever that may be, but it was initiative. So uh, there was a point, it wasn't too long, 10, 11 years old. I started taking initiative, whether it was out of necessity, whether it was not having enough family income to know you could see, you couldn't see, you could see where you might want to be and know you couldn't get there unless you took some initiative to help generate some income or things like that, whatever that might be for you. Or any the initiative is probably the most important part in, in my eyes. So, and I can see that right away in a person too. It kind of kind of comes right after that drive and that passion. You see, not sure of a direction, they just want to jump. You know, well, when they actually get up and jump, that's initiative. You know, like I said, the, that part of it here, getting a job at at our place, I've got one of the key roles and it's even more difficult a car chief position that I'd like to fill. It's not a necessity, but it's a, it's that type of position. It's one of the higher positions in the shop. Those car setups kind of runs the crew day to day. It's, it's allowed to actually make decisions with the group that he works with, things like that. A lot of responsibility needs to be well-rounded and all that. And then we don't have a good avenue where somebody can go sign up to see what's available in jobs. It's 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 such a word of mouth business here. It's a, there's a need for it. I have a need for it. Our meetings out there this morning, which I don't actually run them. We have a shop foreman that runs the base of the meeting that keeps the day in perspective and the week in perspective. But then I add at the end what I need to say. And one of the main things is to let everybody in the building know what position I'd like to have within the next two or three months here at HFR an added position, but that's our avenue is letting these guys know and me keep my ears open and the word of mouth does spread fast, but not fast enough sometimes. Right. There may be a guy sitting at home without a job right now or at another job that he's not happy with or thinks he could uh, improve on. And there's no real way for me to find that out. How do you, has the, the cup side and the changes that have been made there, has that freed up any extra talent for you to go after? 
it's been really slow. We thought it would be like a light switch. The door would open and it would be a floodgate of people looking for positions and jobs and other teams. And it, it's been really slow, you know, so far the, the mechanical side of that, that the, the new car from my understanding is that it's going to be that much more difficult to put together, take apart. That, that's that's going to provide, that's going to require at least as much mechanical help in those shops as they had before. I don't know. I can't put a finger on the fabricating side that may tone down, but, but there, there was a need leading up to this next gen car, which has evolved over the last season and a half for chassis building and body hanging out in this area, the Charlotte race based area. So these, some of these big teams have, taking their fab shops instead of toning them down because they're going to do less fab work on the new car from my understanding, but actually taking in some of this work from the truck series and Xfinity series and filling their voids with building chassis like ours. So I haven't seen much changes. I, I have not seen the floodgate. I don't have less resumes right now on my desk than I would have a year ago or two years ago. Um, wow. So wow. I, I, I'm, you know, I hear that, you know, unemployment rates are down and things are good. People are getting back to work, not whether it be you know, fear of going out and getting back to work or or at a necessity for financial reasons, what that I do hear that people are working and things are good in that those areas. So maybe yeah. that's why right now on January third, I don't have a you know, a pile of people looking for jobs, but I do have one here. I do have one here that I like to fill. It's not a rush. I don't don't want to rush into it. That's really hard sometimes to making a bad hire versus a good hire. It's something you have to live with for a while to figure out. I mean, you can't uh, you can't see on paper what it's going to be like. Or yeah, I have no expectations of having fifteen personalities be the same and all match. That, that that doesn't happen. We all we grow. Our personalities grow together, and and it's better to have a variety in a race shop anyway. How does it need to be monotone? Has there been a like some hire or multiple hires over the years as as you've grown up in the the racing business that you've learned from? Like maybe making a bad hire and maybe adjusting for the next hire. I do. Some of that comes from my expectations. Is I would love for everybody to be as motivated as I am. Like. I, you know, wanting to do more every day, um, wanting to put in the extra. And and you can't expect that everybody. It is still a job. And even though it's racing, you, you still have to understand that they have a family at home or they have this or they may have to travel to a certain place every weekend and they just need to cut it off and go home. I live, breathe, eat it. So I have to manage those expectations. So when I somebody walks in the door and they don't, they don't, they don't act exactly like I do about the, the work pay or the hours. And then I have to manage myself at that point. But, you know, you do learn from mistakes with good hires, bad hires. I mean, and I, and I think the worst hires are lazy people. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I don't know if that's, this is a good forum for that or not, but I don't I think it talking is. about it. I lazy people don't make it in their race business. They can't hide from it. They count at other types of jobs in other areas. There's, there's good ways to hide behind paper or behind walls or whatever it may be. Racing, and I told people a lot this in the last five or six years, that the, the racing community is such a good, strong community of people. And I've 
over time, I try to figure out why that is versus some others industries that might be more sales driven or something. They're different personalities or different cultures within the buildings or within the companies. Racing weeds out lazy people. It weeds out everybody's. It's just a strong family type oriented, passionate type industry. And it kind of just weeds out the bad and leaves nothing but good. And if, and then I hate to say that about anybody, but in the workplace, there's good and there's bad. Yeah, and we all sure. want the top level, whether it be from education or motivation or initiative or passion or whatever it all adds up to be. We want the best people around us. Um, and I, I made some bad hires here at HFR. We started from ground zero with myself, Stuart, and our hauler driver were the three when we moved from what we had built within GMS to, to here at HFR as our own entity, it was ground zero. No equipment, no people, no nothing. And I, I made about 25% of total 100% hires of bad hires. And it took a while to figure it out. And you have to watch and learn and listen to your people a little bit. And you, it's also like elementary school classroom. You can't listen to all the kids, all their opinions about stuff too. You kind of got to weigh it out from a different perspective than they have. So sometimes you're being told things that that are true, but not necessarily good reason to make changes and things like that. You do have to live with it and live with it long enough to know whether it's a good fit or a bad fit. We've, we spend a lot of time together here. We, we uh, spend enough time together. It's open. There's nowhere for anybody to hide. It makes communication easy here at HFR. We don't have two buildings where everything's under one 40,000 square foot roofs from body shop, fab shop, machine car assembly shop. It's all under one roof, no closed doors between each department. So that's good. So like I said, there's no hiding from it, but there's no need for breakdowns of communication either. All you got to do is speak up and talk. And, and as everybody gets comfortable with that, it's gotten better and better and better. And we've zeroed in on really nothing but good people. We made a few new improvements this winter heading into the season and pretty proud of that. Um, been not so proud of it through, throughout the year and a half, two years of making bad hires and having to make changes. It's hard to do, but at this point, pretty proud of it, pretty stoked about the group that's here. The base of the group is still the original group, and we just complimented that base with some really great people. Always trying to hire people that are better better than myself, better than the better than the crew chief, John Leonard, better than like, we just got an engineer in here that's going to compliment him. That's hard to do because he's such a good engineer. It made it really tough to hire John Leonard. Uh, I don't know if you know who John Leonard is, but he's our crew chief. When I, I stepped down and gave my engineer the crew chief role because he was so good at it. Wow. He's better than I was at it. So, so it was a good time for him. And now I got to find him an engineer. That was, that was the end of the season, the fall, trying to find an engineer that was as good as he was or better than he was. And I think we did. And I think he would agree with that. And he's stoked now that he's got this engineer that was, you know, could do a better job than even he did. So now he's just going to elevate himself as a crew chief hire. So uh, things like that have happened. That's the top level of it. And it's happening through the fab shop and through the race shop. And uh, new, one new hire started today. And really add to the program, all based off of the experience on um, what we see out there at the racetrack, individual performance versus the on-track vehicle performance. You do, you do look at them, and if if there's if there's an avenue or somebody wants to make a change, and they're coming from a high-level performing team and all, then their ears are open to talk and listen to them. 
I, I think that's such a key point, not in just the racing business, but in any business or really in life is, is as you keep bringing on higher performers and you're, you're setting the bar, you're raising the bar every time you do that. Right. And I think the more you can do that, the, the better of a team in general, you're going to have a more talented team. I think that's pretty obvious, but it's really hard to do, isn't it? Because if you're, if you're trying to go one step up and you already think the person that you have is pretty great. It, it makes challenge. It, it makes the hiring part of that really challenging because you're forcing yourself to get better as a hiring manager. Correct? Yes. No. You're exactly right. But it, at the same, it makes it harder for the find. It it makes it easier to justify the evolution you've come through when you look back on it. Like you see that it stepped up. It stepped up, and it and it's comforting to know that you're making better decisions at this point. That that's from my perspective. Like I look back at it, I look at it all the time. Why did I go from here to here? The same reason I went from here to here is what I need to do in the next one. I need to keep on that same slope, that same grade upward. But yes, it's it's like I said. I think I think one more is all we need uh, at the moment, headed into the beginning of the season, and it's going to be a tough one because everybody here. I mean, if we can bring somebody in on the same level as what's out there right now, then then I'll be extremely happy to actually find something better than what's out there behind me right now. It's going to be tough to do, which makes me feel really good. She makes Stuart feel good and Chris Larson and everybody involved that, that the people out there working now are um, at, at the highest level in each position. And we're, we're so, we're a small team. So we're not, we don't want to, we're not, we're not, we don't even have room to be too specialized in the spot. You know, we just can't have, a single person that all he does is, is this specific thing. They, they have to be more well-rounded than on the upper levels, the cup level where everybody's individualized, specialized. Um, you know, I guess that's why they have 100, 200 people per team. I don't know. We're, we're right around 13 to 14. And I think 15 is the number we'll be able to do what we're going to do this year. We are going to run a second truck a little more often. And we did two, trucks at the dirt races which is a little easier to do but we've got a six race schedule with Todd Bodine and, and um, coming up here starts right at the beginning of the year so we've, we've had to add and step up for that but at the same time we I decreased numbers by increasing the integrity of the people in the building so we actually right now have less people than last year but I, I feel like really the right people yeah how how hard is it for you as as kind of a brand or maybe a, a smaller team to compete against some of those those bigger shops? And I'm assuming you've got a lot of shops, a lot of race shops in that general vicinity, right? So being able to stand out as a, a preferred employer to not only hire people but retain the people you already have is 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 that a challenge or is that something that you you found your niche and really kind of that kind of person that fits who you are? Walk me through that piece a little bit. Well, I, we do. It is difficult for the single truck team and young. It's it's two years young to compete with the large ones. KBM being probably the largest. TMS, the largest. Uh, David Gilliland's the largest, and 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 their performance shows on the track. They're they're at the front. We had to be patient to get to the level that they perform at. And I knew it wasn't a snap your fingers. It's not something that money can buy. It, it's this collaboration of people and their thoughts and their talents and the equipment. I mean, our first piece of equipment 
It's truck HFR001, and it's back there now. It is nothing like it was just a year and a half ago, but it, yet it is the same chassis. It has very little miles on it, and, and it is so improved and upgraded, and, and, and it's all done within here. It's all done with going on the track and it not working and being slow, ill-handled, aerodynamically off. Engine, it's a spec engine series, but just how you bolt it together, how you, how you get it lined right. I have... You know, the, the basics only get you there. It's the, the details and the fine-tuning that create the rest of the speed. They all go one speed, and it's fast, but then, the, you know, you split the field in half. Go this way is a problem. To go this way is very nothing but difficult. <laughs> so we've done that in a short period of time. And so that's trying to compete with those teams. We're finally there. And we're still a single car team. At this point, what makes this place appealing and probably did from the beginning, what was holding us back from having people call all the time and ask for jobs here, wanting to be a part of HFR was performance. You know, the top of the field, they want their face and their name and their hands working on top performing stuff. They may be better than we were. So you're not going to get them. You know, I've talked to them and they, they respectively say, you know, call me back next year and let's see, you know, I'm interested, but I think I'll stay where I'm at, you know, and, 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 and they have every right to, and I respect that. And, and it's nice when they can say that and not come in and be miserable or not be doing what they want to do. And I couldn't provide it for them at the time. Now we can. And, and that opens the door. It's not only performance though. Chris Larson has gained a lot of respect in the, in many areas of the, the world, but here in the NASCAR community as a top-notch owner. He reminds me a lot of uh, Bill Davis. I worked for Bill Davis for years and had a lot of success there. And it started with him providing whatever it took to get the job done. And that, that's a necessity off the beginning. It's very hard to do it with without the right tools and equipment. And Chris is an equipment guy and he, and he provides us with what we need. And that that that's what, from the outside looking in now, the performance is there that Chris Larson provides that for us here at HFR. And you can see some of the shop back there. It's all in the one room. It's extremely organized. We're not bulging at the seams. We haven't packed in two truck teams and three truck teams and, you know, stuff spilling out in the parking lot and spilling out in each room. There's a place for everything and everything in its place. Um, that makes for an efficient work day, which helps keep the hours down. There's, there's just many little things that go into making HFR, one of the top-notch places for an employee to want to be at. Starts with performance, though. You had to get that there first, no matter what it takes behind the walls. After that, we have an extremely nice place to work, and it's it's very enjoyable to get up in the morning every day and get in your car and know where you're headed. It's exciting. And and that, to me, that's what makes the best job in the world is the one when you know every you know every day when you get up. You like doing what you're doing, whether it's at home or, or you drive to it. You can tell. And, and I think everybody here feels that coming to work, driving down the highway. I think that's what everybody's looking for too, right? Is just you, you want to like going to work. And for those of you listening and not watching the podcast, the, the shop behind trip is just gorgeous. I mean, it, it is absolutely as clean. It looks like you could eat off the floor. Just a, a gorgeous shop. What's a random bit of information or how do you how do you keep a shop that clean i'm just always curious i think race shops do a, a better job at that than anybody uh, but how in the world do you keep it that clean well i mean cleaning <laughs> we do have to clean we don't we we have an area 
uh, teardown. Now the floor right there is a little beat up and, and it still gets mopped and cleaned, but you can tell it gets torn down. The epoxy gets a little chipped and also you do it in one spot so that it doesn't, so you're not just randomly doing it over here. There's plenty, we could do it in plenty of places. We do it in the exact same spot. I picked that spot on day one before an employee came in, kind of laid out. This is a purpose-built race shop. So the flow and the layout was is already built into the building, but that's that's one way is the dirty work gets done in the dirty area. The fab shops overall to my left side, and it obviously stays a little more grind and dust and things like that that we don't allow out here. It's not it's not even allowance. You know, once people walk in, they worked on many race teams. They worked on some where there's not enough room. You're bulging at the seam, and you might have to grind right there where you're at. There's no no two ways around it, but. We build casters for the truck that can go on within minutes and roll it back in the fab shop or on a nice day, which is not today. (laughs) You roll it outside to an area that's for grinding and things. And and you just follow that. I mean, and I I have to tell people every now and then, but not very often because everybody wants the same thing. They want the place to be neat and nice. It makes for a more efficient day. And if we weren't blessed with this size building and this much space to do what we're doing, in, then it wouldn't be as nice. And that goes back to Chris Larson. He didn't question what I, I laid out that we needed to do the job right. You know, at that point, the only thing he questioned is, you know, getting them to victory lane. And, and then that's the question. What are we going to do to get to victory lane? So we make improvements all the time. We keep working hard. But as far as cleaning, we clean. They clean the floors on Friday. That's why they stay polished. We stripped them. We stripped them while things were shut down. Um, we did small groups during the shutdown and came in and I did stuff like that. The, the floors look nice, but we stripped them and put a new hard coat over top of them. Did it all ourselves. We didn't contract out that work because we're we're all hands-on workers. So there's really nothing here. I don't like to personally here contract out jobs like that, whether it be lighting replacement or upgrades or doors or we're a fab shop if there's something broken then we can fix, fix it. it we can make it yeah we have a machine shop we make parts so so i like to keep everything in house um, then you know what you got you know what grade it is it's, um, but we do clean every week i mean we empty the trash we wipe the counters down we put the tools away at the end of the day usually it looks like it's clean and fresh and ready for the start of the next day nobody leaves a mess that's that's really cool. So let's talk about, we got a few minutes left here. What are your goals for 2022? It really, as far as the team goes and, and what are you hoping for in, in this this year's race season? Well, ultimately, I mean, we'd like to win lots of races, but even without that, the format is set up. It's supposed to be when you're in, obviously, for each year. That's not the case. I don't even know if that's promoted anymore. We want to win other reasons beside advancement to the next round but that's the goal every time once you win then you're locked in then you can sit back and maybe do some things make changes that you wouldn't normally make ones that you not sure if they're going to take you a little faster or a little slower you would do stuff like that once you're locked into a round in this format but the ultimate goal and it's right there it's not it's not beyond our reach it's not outside of any expectation we should have is to win the championship i think we were in as good a position and as strong a team as anybody at the end of 2021, which I did not even expect. I just wanted it really bad. And so did everybody else. 
but from where we started and where we went to, we were as strong as anybody in the last two races of the year. And the race is leading up to that, but it all comes down on those last two and what happens. Um, Stewart went for a win at Martinsville, which would have put us number one, one of the top seeds for the championship in Phoenix. Then at Phoenix, we were, we were between one and two of the best trucks running for the championship. We just weren't in the seed to actually get the trophy if we did win the race. So we're only one ingredient away from being one of the best last year. So improving on that means a championship. So that's wow. what we're, we have so much room in the trucks. We've got so much knowledge and people, new people and studies through the TRD group and all that. There's performance improvement out there happening right now. That's the most exciting part. So I know the trucks will be fast. I love it. I, I, and I'll be following you guys and rooting for you guys all, all year long. I, I just, I think it's such a, a fun podcast for me to do because a lot of what you talk about does relate to the shops that we, we have out there and, and how you run an operation to win is very similar to what a shop, you know, a, just a normal dealership does to win. Right. And I think the the correlation for me that just, being able to talk to those in the, the racing community is always just fun selfishly. But I think some great advice out of today, some great stories. I, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and wish you nothing but the best of luck for this coming year. I, it, you seem like just a, a great person and, and it seems like a really great organization in general. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'd love to do it again. Uh, invite you down to the shop soon. It'd be nice. Yes. I'd like to hear more about the other side. I, I we have, we need a way to a program, whether it be app-based or whatever, to bring people into this racing community, this style, mechanics, um, engineers, uh, fabricators, body men, the body side of it, paint and body. That can be pulled right out of the automotive industry. That's one thing that can relate. You, how we shape panels and things is a little bit different, but those guys usually come directly out of the, the, uh, automotive industry straight into the shops and those are the hardest to find too the body guys so i i think there's something you and i could work on there i agree yes yes we'll we'll definitely have some conversations and okay and chat about this but greatly appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, we'll we'll talk to you the next time we have you on the podcast thank you take care